Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It is Saturday morning, self-brain surgery Saturday here on the Dr. Lee Warren podcast. I am up early having some coffee and hope that your day is going to unfold in a beautiful way that God has something in store for you today that will make a difference. Listen, it's self-brain surgery Saturday. Every week we try to talk about some way that you can change your mind to help you change your life. It is crystal clear from the research now that the things we think about turn into the way that our brain works, which turns into the way that our bodies work. Work, which turns into the way that we experience and influence other people and change and shape the world around us. It is no question why God told us to think about better stuff, to be transformed in our thinking rather than conformed to the world, that the reason that out of a treasure of a heart comes the things that you speak about, whether they're good things or bad things. There's no doubt that shaping the way your brain works is one of the ways that we are to exhibit self-control, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Your brain is a gift to you, the most complex supercomputer in the universe, and you've been given the responsibility to steward it and take care of it, friend. And that is why I'm always here on Cell Brain Surgery Saturday to tell you you can change your mind. You're not stuck with the thought patterns and the attitudes and the behavior that you've always had. You're not hopelessly enslaved to habits and systems that harm you, and you're not stuck with things and labels that people put on you from other times in your life. You're not. As Jesus says, he can work it out for your good. He can change things for your benefit. He has a plan for you to prosper you and not to harm you. And the neuroscience and the faith work together, and you don't have to take off your brain to put on a faith helmet. You don't. The world right now wants you to think, friend, that you've got to be some kind of uh, low-intelligence moron to believe in a higher power, to believe in God, to believe that there's a plan for your life other than this just cold, hopeless universe, right? But I'm telling you, as a scientist, that there is a reasonable basis for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And it's not just wishful thinking. It's not just a dad who lost a son like I did in 2013 who wants to have something to hope for that maybe I'll get to see him again. It's not that. There is a valid and a reasonable, rational reason why you should believe that your hope in Christ is founded and certain. And I want to talk today... The reason I'm bringing you this message today is my new book, Hope is the First Dose, is coming out in July. And I've been telling you, I, I present to you a treatment plan for dealing with these massive things, the TMTs that come along in our lives. And the treatment plan involves prehab, which is putting all kinds of good things in your heart, making some decisions about what you believe, knowing that feelings aren't facts, knowing that every thought that pops into your head isn't true, having a plan together to, to before you encounter the massive thing of how you've decided you're going to handle massive things when they come along. That prepares you to be resilient and strong when the massive thing does come. And it's coming because Jesus told us in John sixteen thirty three, in this world, you will have trouble, right? But the same Jesus also said in John ten ten. I came that you can have abundant life, that you can have a life that's not all about the stealing and killing and destroying that the enemy wants to do, but that you can actually have peace and hope and purpose and maybe even happiness again when the massive thing happens. And so today, I want to give you some of the underpinnings of why you can have that hope, because I tell you that there is a treatment plan. It's prehab, it's self-brain surgery, and it's rehab, getting better, getting stronger, reconnecting with other people, finding community, finding those other people who can come alongside you and help you be stronger than you can be by yourself. All those things work together to form the treatment plan that will lead you back to hope. But hope starts 
Hope is the first dose of the treatment plan. The whole thing starts and turns on hope. Why? Because if you don't have hope, you can't pick up the knife to engage in the self-brain surgery. If you don't have hope, you won't go to the doctor. You won't get engaged in the treatment plan. If you don't have hope, you won't reach out for the rope that Jesus is offering you to grab onto, to the lifeline. If you don't have hope, you can't take that first step. If you don't have hope, you can't open your eyes and see that there actually is still light out there when the world feels so dark. So today, I have a special guest. I told you yesterday, if you didn't listen to yesterday's episode, go back and listen to The Always God with Pastor Jarrett Stevens. Jarrett is a pastor of a large Baptist church in Houston, Texas, Champion Forest. Shout out to anybody from Houston listening. Uh, Jarrett is a great pastor, great writer. If you don't have a church home in the Houston area, go check out Champion Forest Baptist Church. Jarrett is a great, wonderful uh, young pastor and just full of uh, passion and knowledge. He's intelligent and he's, he just loves the Lord. And I think it'd be a great church home for you. That is a little plug for Champion Forest. So shout out to you if you're listening from there. But listen, Jarrett, I called him up, actually uh, emailed him and said, hey, I want to talk about why it's reasonable for people to put their hope and faith in Jesus. Why is it reasonable when I tell people to use scripture as some part of the prehab plan for them to put in their heart to have something to fall back on when life gets hard? Why is that reasonable? Why can we trust that the Bible is not just a book written thousands of years ago? Why is it not just something people made up? Why can we trust in it? Why is it reasonable? Why could smart people know that that book has something to offer them that will be helpful to them when the lights go out? And I knew he could do it. I didn't prep him more than that. That was all the setup I gave him. And the conversation that unfolded yesterday was incredible. And we had such a good time. And Jarrett's passion for the Lord and for the Scripture and his knowledge about why this book turns out to be more than just a, a book full of hope, book full of made-up reasons to have hope, was inspiring and fun. We had some laughs. We had some just a, just a wonderful conversation. And I just want you to know that there is a reason why you you don't have to check your brain at the door if you want to come to faith. You don't have to give up intelligence to have hope and, and faith that there is something beyond this life that you can have a reasonable hope for. All you have to do is change your mind. And that, my friend, will change your life. We're going to have a wonderful conversation with Pastor Jarrett Stevens today on Self-Brain Surgery Saturday. I encourage you to check out his books. I'll put a link to him in the show notes. And I want you to just get a lot out of this conversation with my friend Jarrett Stevens. Because you can't change your life until you change your mind. And Pastor Jared is going to help us get that done. I asked Jared to pray for us before we get started. I love that. Lord Jesus, thanks for today and just the opportunity to visit with Lee and the greater audience that will be listening to this. Lord, we just pray that you would go before us and um, uh, for our conversation. I pray that you'd be honored by it. And uh, Lord, we just love you and thank you for uh, this privilege to talk about uh, things that matter. Uh, things of consequence and significance. And I thank you for Lee leveraging his influence to help advance the kingdom. And so, uh, Jesus, we give you this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, friends, sit back and relax and enjoy this conversation with Jarrett Stevens. And we are going to let Lisa tell us, as always, that we can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. 
Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Well, friend, we're back, and I'm so excited to be back on the podcast with my friend, Pastor Jarrett Stevens from Houston. Hey, Jarrett. Hey, Lee. Great to be with you, man. So fun when we get to talk all things life and theology and ministry and calling and appreciate you having me on. Amen. It's good to see your face, man. Everything going well down there in Houston? It is. It's about to get Houston hot, though. I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> you right. know, they, uh, Man, uh, May to about September is pretty, pretty unbearable. So That's right. uh, we're gearing up for it. And we were talking just a minute ago and you shared some some amazing numbers with me about people that came to know the Lord over Easter at your church. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's it's you know, no, you know, I, I with the numbers on the church thing, you know, I I to me, I I don't think that moves the needle for me personally. Um uh because you know, it's not like Jesus had large crowds that right. you know been impressive to him. But what it tells me for our church is that the front door is open. People are coming. Numbers represent people. And uh, just for, uh, you know, we had 198 people pray to receive Christ that gave us their information for us to follow up on. So we're really excited about that. Uh, And our team has been working so hard to to call them and just answer their questions. And these are people that turned their information in and said, I'm praying to receive Christ. And we were able to talk with them. And so that that was awesome. And we baptized right at... Uh, 50 plus on, um, I think it was 55 on Good Friday at our Good Friday services. Wow. We have three campuses here in Northwest Houston. And so God's doing a great work. We have, it was the largest attendance in the history of our church, uh, which, uh, you know, uh, you know, which again means people are excited. They're inviting their friends. And, uh, I told our team, man, let's just keep low, uh, meaning humble and stay pure. And, uh, we'll ride this wave of God's favor and blessing as long as we can. That's that's right, Amen. And each one of those souls is worth the whole world, you know. Is that I mean, so absolutely, man. It's not about how many thousands of people can you put in your church, but how many people can you put in the kingdom? And uh, yeah, that's right. And the Bible says all of heaven rejoices when one uh, comes to repentance. And so uh, I think that's you know uh, to any church leaders that are listening to this, I think my one encouragement would be you know continue casting that net and calling people to Christ. And the more you do that, I think the more your people will invite their friends because they know that, man, if they go to church, they're going to hear the gospel. Uh, they're going to have an opportunity to receive Christ. And uh, I think that's one of the positive takeaways from this past Easter is our people are just really buying into inviting their friends, sharing Christ with their friends, and people respond to the gospel as they always will. Amen. Well, that kind of segues into what I asked you to be on the show about. And by the way, thanks for taking your time on this Friday to spend some time with us. I appreciate it. Yeah, happy to, man. So I, want, I wanted to talk to you, Jarrett. So so Jarrett's a pastor and a Bible scholar. He's written two really beautiful books, and we've had you on the show before to talk about The Always God, which is still one of my favorite. In fact, it was uh, I had it as one of my top books that I read in 2021. 
and um, mm-hmm. just uh, released that episode again this morning for people to get familiar with you again before this talk. And um, had a thousand down over a thousand downloads already today. So people are listening and they know who you are now. So we don't have to cover the whole backstory. But but the reason yeah. I invited you to come back on the show today is just what you were getting at is th- the culture is in such a crisis right now, Jared, because it feels like a lot of people don't agree that there is something that's always true, right? That mm-hmm. there's this relative nature of truth that seems to be tearing our society apart. Sometimes it, I got my truth and you got your truth and, and, you know, I live this, this truth and you can live your truth, but don't, don't get on me about mine. And, and yeah. so I, I wanted to ask you, I've got my book, hope is the first dose coming out. And I believe that the reason that we can keep going in this world after, you know, after I lost my son, like the thing that kept me going was this, this hope and this faith that there's something beyond this life. There's something that's always true, Jared. And so how, how do we know that God is always God, that God is always true, that the Bible is real? Let's talk about that kind of stuff today for a little yeah. while. Just a trusted well, pastor to talk us through that. Sure. Well, congratulations first on the release of your new book, man. That's awesome. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I just know how it is. Those, those books are a labor of love and, uh, you know, it's an open hand and you put it out there and you don't know how it's going to be responded to. And, uh, your writing is just awesome. So uh, I'm pumped uh, that this new one's releasing as it relates to, you know, the word of God being true. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is one of my favorite subjects, um, just because, you know, uh, scripture, For Christians, I don't think we have to check our mind at the door when we walk into church. You know, Uh, we have a very rational uh, faith. And I think that anybody that will be uh, will do the honest work of uh, of investigating uh, their faith as it relates to Scripture being the word of God, an authority that we can stand on. Um, I think if anybody did the honest work and asked the questions. It can this be true? I think that they would find what skeptics uh, have found throughout history that you know what there is evidence that what uh, we hold in our hands, what we consider sacred scripture, uh, is 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 true. Is true, mm-hmm. and so um, uh, we can get into why that is. Uh, more than willing to talk about that. Uh, I will say, you know, um, we live in a, a world, as you mentioned in your in your opening, that there is no absolute truth. What I feel is true is just as good as what you feel may be true. And it's like this mountain that we're climbing, yeah. uh, you know, and if you go up your side, I'll go up my side and somebody else can go up the other side. But we're all going to get to the same point. Uh, but that reasoning just isn't logical at all uh, because there is absolute truth. Two plus two equals four. It doesn't equal five, no matter what you feel. Uh, You know, Texas is bordered uh, by Louisiana on one side and New Mexico on another. And it's not it's not bordered by uh, 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 Colorado or California. They're they're all truth. All truth is narrow truth. And so uh, it is an important question because our truth source as evangelicals, as, as Christians, is the Bible. And so how can we know and have confidence? And it's a great conversation to have. 
Well, is it, you know, you're right about that, that, that there are certain facts that are true. Two plus two is four. And there are people arguing about that now. I just read a whole essay on there's people who are arguing that, that mathematics is somehow racist or somehow, you know, not, not, not rational. And it just doesn't, I don't understand it. But, but Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So I've, I've argued with people before that if all roads lead to heaven, and if all paths get you there, then Jesus can't be one of those paths because he would invalidate his own teaching that he was the only path. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, we preached it this past week at Easter. If if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then nothing he says matters. That's right. If, if Jesus did raise from the dead, then everything that he says matters. And you have to accept, uh, I think this was Tim Keller uh, that said this, uh, he wrote a book, uh, called the age of skepticism. Yep. And, uh, and in that book, uh, he has a quote there talking about, um, uh, just this whole idea of what we're talking about. And, uh, he says, if Jesus raised from the dead, I'm going to quote it for you. Uh, I'm pulling it up right now. Just so, uh, if anybody is going to test me on it, it says if, if reason for God, belief in an age of skepticism, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? And then this is what he says. The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. If he rose from the dead, you have to accept everything that he said. And to your point, this is what he said. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so uh, truly... Uh, it really does hinge on him raising from the dead. And how do we know he ra- ra- was raised from the dead? Well, we base it on the Bibles, which comes back to this question that we're talking about. How can we know uh, that what we're reading is true? And uh, it's a great conversation to have. I'm so glad we're doing it. Me too. So w- when you talk about how do we know he was raised from the dead, I mean, there's, there's, I've heard people talk about this before, but what's the difference between, say, Peter and the other apostles before Christ was crucified and after they alleged that he rose from the dead? Like, what do we see in Scripture and how those guys behaved? And and what does that say to us about whether or not the resurrection might be true? Yeah, exactly. I mean, their their lives totally changed. I mean, so, you know, uh, it's interesting you're asking me this. I mean, I preached it this past Easter. Paul, he says, First Corinthians 15, he said, I'm delivering to you that of what's first importance. Yeah. Uh, he says that all that I've taught, all that I've, all that I've spoken of, I'm going to give you what is of first importance. He said, Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he goes on and he say, he appeared to many, uh, some who are still alive. You know, first Corinthians was written within 20 to 25 years of the resurrection. Yeah. So we're talking about, there were eyewitnesses there. So, you know, one proof is, um, he says, according to the scripture. So we have prophetic scripture that 300 plus prophecies, I think the most conservative is like 330 yeah. prophecies concerning the life, person, and work of Jesus, where he would be born, uh, uh, how he would die. Uh, I mean, very specifically, uh, I mean, he, he, Psalm 22 mentions the crucifixion yeah. as a picture of the crucifixion. And Roman crucifixion didn't even exist when the psalmist is writing it. And so, uh, you know, so you got prophetic scripture, Paul says, is a proof of the resurrection. You have um, 
uh, testimony, eyewitnesses, the question you just asked me, um, you know, all of these disciples, their life totally uh, and radically changed. Peter would say, we didn't, this isn't, we didn't come up with this. This is not a cleverly devised myth. He yeah. said, but we are witnesses of his majesty. So all of the disciples say one, John was exiled, died a martyr's death. They would not have yeah. willingly known, uh, willingly died for something that they knew was a lie. And That's so, right. yes, you have these, um, you have these incredible, uh, eyewitness testimonies of, uh, these people who saw Jesus, walked with Jesus. And again, we're talking about within 25 years of, of Jesus, Paul says, if you don't believe me, he appeared to 500 other people who are still alive. Go ask them. Cooperate the evidence. I'm not making this up, right? And, right? and you know, I think I think a real big proof too is um, the fact that uh, they worship. These are Jewish believers. They've yeah. worshipped on the Sabbath their entire life, Shabbat, Saturday, and now all of a sudden. What they've known their entire life, their great, 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 great grandparents, they shift and start worshiping on the Lord's Day, Sunday, the first day of the week, representing when he was raised from the dead. I mean, to me, that is just incredible proof. And, uh, you know, N.T. Wright, one of the foremost uh, uh, New Testament scholars, uh, he said if it wasn't only an empty tomb uh, and there had been no sightings, people would have believed the body was stolen. Yeah. If there were only eyewitnesses who claimed to see Jesus, but the tomb still had the body in it, then people would have believed the eyewitnesses were hallucinating. Only yeah. if all of these were true, the empty tomb is what we're saying. It's foretold by the prophetic scripture, eyewitness accounts and changed lives. Only if all of this is true, could, could Christianity have ever begun? And so, uh, yeah, you know, the changed life piece is a huge proof of uh, the resurrection of Christ and, and thus the uh, veracity of scripture, we can trust it. Amen. I saw a, a quote from a guy named Chuck Colson, who I guess was a Nixon advisor who went yeah. to prison. Went in to the jail after during the Watergate scandal. Yeah, he went to jail. And he said that Watergate is what convinced him of the truth of the resurrection. Have you heard this? So he, yeah. he said, he said the 12 or 15 of some of the most powerful people in the world couldn't keep that lie together about Watergate for two weeks. Like all That's of them right. cracked under the pressure of subpoenas and, and all of that. And yet you've got these New Testament folks who for the rest of their natural lives, 40, 50, 60 years, kept that story and told it the same and were willing to die for it. Like that, that wasn't a lie. Yep. That's right. That's right. Major proof. Amazing. So one other thing. So I've been, uh, uh, Twitter is not the best place to get your theology, I admit. But <laughs> but there's a lot of, of people on Twitter right now, Jared, that are arguing um, for kind of a progressive version of, of theology, progressive version of Christianity. And one of the things that I've been seeing a lot of people talk about is a claim that Scripture it was never intended to be considered inerrant and mm-hmm. was never considered to be flawless and what is what do you what do you say about that as a pastor like is scripture correct can we count on it is it always true or is it not is it more of just sort of a guide like a a a, a tour guide to a good life or is it really real well you know if we take the testimony of scripture what is it second timothy 3 16 all scripture is god breathed it's inspired 
Uh, Peter said no, no prophecy was written by man, but it was breathed out by the Holy Spirit. And that word breathed out, it's a nautical term. Uh, when the wind would go into the sail, it would carry it along. And that's what Peter was saying, that he used human instruments to pen his holy scripture. And he worked within the confines of their personality. And uh, you've got this book that is written over a period of thousands of years, written on a, you know three different continents. It's written at all different times uh, of life. Um, but it's one major theme. Uh, and so um, I understand people doubting and being skeptical about uh, you know, inerrancy, uh, is a, is, is a term that's kind of thrown around, which we know means to be without error. Now, you know, cards on the table for us talking, there are no manuscripts, uh, or no autographs rather of, uh, the, the script of the, the original scripture. We have no autographs anywhere. So, um, when it, when we look at scripture, uh, it's not like we have, you know, the original uh, 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 parchment that, you know, Moses pinned the law on. We don't have that. And, uh, and so when we talk about, uh, uh, the book that we study, the Bible that we have that we, you know, we can, that consists of Holy scripture that, 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 you know, each person probably has multiple copies of is, is that, uh, without error, uh, I would say it like this, that God's original intent on the scripture uh, when he when he spoke it and man pinned it, it was without error, no yeah. doubt about it. And uh, the scripture that we hold in our hand, can God keep it uh, and and keep it pure before us? Yes, I mean I think the yeah. the, the scripture that we have written in the original languages, uh, while there are textual variants and there have been so many different tests on this, you know, I mean when you consider. Um, the, when you look at the historicity of the scriptures and you put the, the Bible typically comes Lee, under three main tests. Okay. Yeah. One is what we would call the bibliographical test, right? And it just answers this question. Since we don't have the original autographs of the text, how many copies do we have? And what's the time interval between the copy and the original? So the question is, what's the age of the copies that we have? And then how many, if we wanted to determine the historicity of any ancient text, I'm not, not just talking just the Bible. I'm talking any uh, ancient yeah. literature, it goes through this, this, what we would call manuscript authority. So like, you, you know, it, most of our listeners, a lot of them, you know, went to college and it was maybe Aristotle's poetics that you read in your English classes. Well, that was written yeah. 343 uh, BC. We don't have an original autograph of Aristotle's poet poetics. And the earliest copy we have is dated around 1100 AD. So that yeah. time gap is 1,400 years, and the number of manuscripts that we have of poetics is just 49. So wow. you got a 1,400-year gap, and the number in 40, and nobody doubts that that Aristotle wrote poetics. Okay, take yeah. uh, a Caesar's Gallic Wars. No original autographs exist. Written somewhere between 50 and 60 BC, so 50 to 60 years before Christ. The earliest copy we have 900 AD. Wow. So that's a thousand year time gap. And you want to know how many manuscript copies we have of Caesar's Gallic Wars? 10, wow. just 10. So think about the Bible, no original autographs, but we have over 10,000 copies either in part or in whole of the old Testament. Yeah. 
5,000 copies in part or in old of the New Testament. The earliest copy we have is 200 AD. The time gap is of 100 years. Wow. So that's what we call a very high manuscript authority. Uh, second place to the Bible as it relates to the number of manuscript copies, part or whole, and interval of the time gap. Second to the Bible is Homer's Iliad. No original autograph, written 900 years before Christ. The earliest copy we have is 400 BC, a time wow. gap of, what is that, 500 years? Yeah. And we only have 643 copies. 643 wow. copies. That's second place to the Bible that has 10,000 copies of the Old Testament part or whole, 5,000 part or whole in the New Testament with a time gap of 200 AD. We're talking 100 years, Lee. So, you know, again, if somebody would do the work and the honest, ask the honest questions and come to it with an open mind, they would see that when we talk about uh, the veracity of Scripture and and, and talking about inerrancy, uh, you look at all of these uh, these, these, these different copies that we have, when you line them up, uh, the biggest, the biggest change, Craig Bloomberg's a new Testament professor. Uh, he was at Denver seminary. I don't know where he is now. Uh, but he concludes that the new Testament is 97 to 99%, uh, uh, reliable beyond any shadow of a doubt. When you look at all the copies together that they, they actually they fit together that that there is no uh change most most of the changes in scripture that people want to talk about oh it's been changed all this time their variance in spelling you know john might have the name john might have two ends opposed to to one uh or their spelling differences Th- those things account for 75% of all uh variants and then the other 25% is basically pronouns and synonyms. You know, somebody might wow. say he and another copy might say Lord. So again, I, I, I know that was a lot to take in what I just said, but my point is um, it, you do the work, the veracity and errancy of scripture. Um, while, you know, does the copy we have have errors? Uh, only what God has allowed uh, and what, uh, you know, fall into the hands of, of people who are doing their best to interpret the Greek and the Hebrew, but in the original, uh, you know, the manuscript copy we have. Yeah. I think it, I think the original autograph rather, I think it's without error. Wow. So two things, number one, amazing. I mean, that's an amazing story about the veracity of the text. Number two, I didn't prep him folks for this. I did not give Jared a a high level overview of what we were going to talk about. So that came out of your heart and I love that and your experience. So thank you. Well, full disclosure, man, I'm I'm doing a I'm starting a new series this week at our church in Houston uh called um These Things Never Change. And the subtitle wow. is the subtitle is What We Believe and Why It Matters. And I'm just convinced as our culture does go more secular and it's changing all of the time, what are some things that never change? And th- this is do- doctrine. This is dogma. I mean, you read any systematic theology book as Christians, we've got to know what we believe and why it matters. And everything that we believe is foundational to what we learn in the scripture. And so our belief on the Bible is critical because it informs every other thought that we have as it relates 
to building the foundation of our faith. And so when Jesus said, look, not one jot, not one, he, he says iota, which in the iota in the Greek language is like a, an apostrophe. He says, yeah. not one of those things will pass away. Um, and so, uh, it matters. And, uh, because again, if, if God's word is true, then we, it's an authoritative, it's authoritative for life. And when it speaks of itself, Lee, and it says, I'm the uh, Hebrews 4, 12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged yeah. sword. That's why, and you can look throughout scripture, why do people want to ban the Bible? Uh, because it's not any other book, man. It is alive. It's active. It's not like reading any other history book or some, you know, romantic novel. The Bible is alive and it has the ability, as the scripture says, to cut through the deep recesses of the soul. And so people have tried to extinguish it throughout history and they're never going to be able to, because it's not just any other book. It's literally why I asked you to come here today. And it's so, it's so beautiful and kind of the Holy spirit that he had all these things that you're prepping for your sermons and all this on my heart. And that, and it's, worked perfectly for what I wanted to talk about today. And you've read my new book. So, you know, um, we're talking about what I call the treatment plan for the, the fact is that when you go through your life, Jesus said it plain, John 16, 33, in this world, you're going to have trouble, right? And we know there are massive things coming. There are hard things coming in the culture and your society and your family. Somebody's going to get a diagnosis, Jared, that's, that's not good. Somebody's going to go through a divorce. Some, something's going to happen. And and so how do we prepare ourselves and give ourselves this pre-resilience? And I think it starts with hope. And I think that it starts with with putting things in your heart that are going to give you some foundation when you hit that storm, right? And so for me, that works through Scripture. It works through having a heart full of God's words and the Holy Spirit calls them to mind like he said he would. But but that's all predicated on believing that it's true. And knowing right. that it's true and having faith that it's true. And that's why I wanted to get this out of you today, because I, I wanted you to give us some 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 anchors to put down on that. It's not just a false hope. It's not just a silly idea. And, you know, when you said that about the word is living and active, like, what does that mean to you? Like, is that the sense that you get sometimes when you're in the middle of something hard and and the scripture comes back to you that you've got in your heart that it, it encourages you just at the right moment? Is that what that means? Yeah, that's that's a bit of it. Um, You know, the the word of God um, being alive and active, God has revealed himself. God wants to be known. Yeah, he does. And how has God revealed himself? Well, he has revealed himself in in many ways. He reveals himself uh, through nature, right? Right. Like we can we can stand at the base of an ocean and and or at the base of a mountain and and watch a sunrise off an ocean. And we we do that. We don't we don't do that and think of how awesome we are. Right? I mean, it makes us feel <laughs> something grandiose. You know, you look into the stars. Uh, so it's that whole idea that God is uh, general revelation, that God has revealed himself through nature. That's why he says in Romans chapter one. That no person is, every person is without excuse because God yeah. has generally revealed himself. Our conscience bear witness that there is something more. You go to a funeral and you cannot go to a funeral and see someone passing without thinking of your own death. And what does that mean? And you ask these big That's questions right. in life. Does my life matter? Is it going to count? Where do those questions come from? The Ecclesiastes says God put eternity in our hearts. So we know that yeah. we're made for more. That's why. 
that's why we we have this incredible, we go to great vacations and we can have these incredible pleasures and, and our heart expands and we love it, but then it shrinks back down when it goes back to normal because we're made for that. We're made for something more. And that's just yeah. God just shouting to us. Well, th- that's just generally how he revealed himself because, you know, take nature, for instance. Yeah, a beautiful sunrise and wonderful stars show the glory of God. But then, you know, what does a tornado or a hurricane show? So that, that's yeah. general revelation. Specific revelation is through scripture. God has made himself known through his word. That's why when when the scripture says that it is truth and then Jesus comes back and says I am truth. Yeah. Um that you know so so in the beginning was the word uh, the word was with God the word was God. And so when you're dealing with the the, the word of God the reason it's alive and active is because Jesus is alive and active. That's right. And his word uh, he is the word of God. You know, I've always been captured by that picture in the Bible when Jesus is teaching and they lower that paralyzed man in the roof to yeah. get him before Jesus. And Mark puts it like this. He's, you know, he says, and Jesus was teaching and there, there could not be any more people in the house because it was full. And that picture of the house being full, Lee, it's always, uh, I always thought about this, man, the word of God teaching the word of God. I mean, wow. no wonder the house is full, right? That's and right, so, the logos. Yeah, and so, um, you know, when I say the word of God is living and active, Jesus said, sanctify, again, talking about truth, um, sanctify them by your truth, John 17 says. Yeah. And then he says this, your word is truth. Wow. Uh, Psalm 19, the sum of your word is truth. And so, you know, uh, again, if we're going to look at this from a rational standpoint, there is absolute truth and we could we could argue this and and if there is then we have to determine okay what is absolute truth and when you look at the bible and how it stood the test of time and um you know how it has given hope through the years uh and it endures and there 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 you know i would argue that there aren't contradictions that yeah uh, you look at you know there's so many reasons for our, our faith but that yeah part of that when you say the word is alive and active yeah you know when you have the holy spirit living in you and he's going to give you he's going to bring recollection to what you've studied and what you're learning in the scripture that's why it's so important that you give your mind to the scripture. That's my time alone with God is important. I tell believers all the time that I disciple, look, your relationship with the Lord will rise and fall on your time in his word. That's right. Uh, because you cannot have a vibrant relationship with the Lord uh, if you're not having uh, interaction in his word. It's where we that's hear right. from him. You wrote about that. In the revelation. In, that's right. And you, you said something, I'm going to misquote it because it's been a while since I've read it, but in the always God, you talked about how, when we're feeling lonely and sort of isolated, one of the best treatments for that is to get alone with God. Like you, you, if you're lonely, you need to spend more time alone with him. What, is, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in my first book, the mountains are calling, um, you know, we always look for a mountaintop moment as Christians, right? We love yeah. that whole, when God's presence is palatable and we, we seem so close to him and, and we love those, those mountaintop moments. Uh, but more often than not, life is done in the valley. But my, kind of the point I make is if we define a mountaintop moment as the palatable presence of God in our life and just being extremely close and intimate with him, man, if we'll take his word every single day 
and have time alone with him, that is a mountaintop moment. Like you're on the mountain with the Lord every time you have his word. And so, you know, that was the practice of Jesus. Jesus broke away. uh, And the Bible tells us Luke several times, he would go to a desolate mountain and pray and spend time with his father. And so how do we spend time with the father? We, we get away and we pray and we open up his word, his final and fully revealed word to us. Uh, Isaiah 40, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. It will endure. And that's what we want to build our life on. That's what we want to build our life on. Amen. When people are hurting, Jarrett, and I know as a pastor, not me as a doctor, you as a pastor, I know you encounter people who are hurting in the midst of those massive things in their lives. And, it, you know, Psalm 34, 18 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Like, how do, how do you direct people to get close enough to him for them to feel that closeness when their hearts are broken. How do you, how do you direct us to find that kind of hope? Yeah. I, I encourage them uh, to just um, stay, you know, so often when we go through tragedy and heartache, we, we concentrate on what we don't know. God, why is this happening? That's right. God, what, what did I do to deserve this? God, what are you, what, what, what's going on? And when we are, we find ourselves in hopeless situations, we concentrate on what we don't know. Yeah. I, I tell families that are walking, hey, look, times like this, you cannot concentrate on what you don't know because you're not going to know some of these answers that you're looking for. It's not wrong to ask them, but you're That's not right. going to get the answer this side of eternity, maybe. Um, it's going to take some time. We see through a mirror dimly. So here's what I want you to, here's how I encourage them. I want you to concentrate on what you do know. And what do you know? And we walk and you can walk them through that scripture. And, and that's where I say, that's why you need to be in the word, because in the word, that's what you do know. And so you may be going through a tough time and you're going to your feelings are going to deceive you. You're going to feel alone. But what does the truth say? The word of God says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Right. You're going to feel like you can't make it another day. But what does the word of God say? God, word of God is going to say, take courage. Um, don't be afraid. Uh, yeah. you, so, so you can't concentrate on what you don't know. You got to concentrate on what you do know. And so press in, uh, to the Lord and experience, um, his, his manifest presence because it will really come alive, especially in the down and, and dark times of life. That's right. And you said it. Uh, yeah. I'm always telling people feelings are not facts. Feelings are chemical events in your brain. And, That's and right. feelings can be, feelings can be redirected by thinking and by, by the stuff you've got in your heart. So you said it in a different way and you used a train metaphor. Do you remember that? What you said? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, one, you're you're a doctor. So you would, you know, I tell people, if you're going to live off your feelings, it's going to be like an EKG heart chart. You're going to be up, down, up, down, up, up, down, up, down. And the only way to know is you got to live by, you got to live by truth. And so uh, I was uh, uh, discipled uh, and um, a guy showed it to me and I showed it. We we put it in all our discipleship ministry uh, material at our church is think of it like a train, Um, you know, uh, in the old days, trains had cabooses. They don't much have cabooses anymore. But what drives the the train is um, truth. Feelings are always the caboose. And so you got to you got to let truth drive the engine of your life, Um, because, again, if not, you're going to be up, down, up, down. And uh, you'll you'll never be able uh, to to walk on solid footing, living by your feelings. So we've always got to let feelings be the caboose and let truth be the, the engine that drives our life. 
Amen. That's exactly what I wanted to to get to today, Pastor. And I told you we'd go 30 or so minutes. We're right at 40. So I don't want to take too much of your time, but just a couple of things. Let's just go and talk for a second about what you're writing next. We've got two great books out there. I've shared them with the audience. All the listeners have heard about The Mountaintop and uh, The Mountains Are Calling and uh, Always God. So what's coming next from, from Pastor Jared? Well, thanks for asking. I'm working on it right now and just kind of working with my agent on getting it uh, uh, put together. But uh, the concept is uh, trite is what I'm calling trite, not true. And we as Christians, you know, and you've probably seen this as a doctor you want as Christians, when somebody's going through a tough time, uh, you know, no hope. We always, you know, for some reason, rather than just exercising the ministry of presence and just being there, you know, that's, that's yeah. probably what we need more than anything. Uh, we always want to offer up our advice or have a little, you know, statement that we think is going to feel better. And so in this book, what I want to expose is really what we talked about today. I want to, ex- I want to expose some of the things that we, that we say that aren't true at all. You know, God helps those who help themselves. Um, <laughs> you know, that's not, that, it sounds great, but in the Bible, God helps those who can't help themselves. Like there's, right. you, you, there's nothing they can do, you know? Um, uh, the sound of music made, I think made this famous, um, uh, uh, you know, when God closes a door, he opens a window, um, <laughs> well, not necessarily, you know, like we t- already talked about all the disciples died for their faith. You know, I'm That's sure they right. were hoping for a window to open somewhere. Um, but, uh, we, we say all, all these things, let go and let God, um, yep. well, you know, really? I mean, you know, I think, I think it's, 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 it, I think it, I get the sentiment, but God wants you to put your best foot forward and he wants you to work and he'll bless That's your right. efforts as you work. Uh, there's others that I'm looking at. Love the sinner and hate the sin. Uh, <laughs> this has been a really, uh, fun one to study because I understand, again, I understand the sentiment. We are to love the sinner, um, and, 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 and hate their, their sin. But when in our culture, let's take the sin of homosexuality. Well, homosexuality is an identity. It's become an identity. So when you trying to share Jesus with someone and as Christians, we go, Oh, I, I, uh, I'm going to love the sinner, but I'm going to hate the sin. If you're trying to share Jesus with somebody who's homosexual, they're not going to hear that. Uh, they're going to shut you also because their identity is tied to it. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at that going, you know, how about we just let, let's just take that comma out. Let's just, let's say, let's just make it a period right there. Love sinners, period. Hate sin. You yeah. know, that's what we need to do. That's how Jesus was. So I'm looking at all of those, uh, Lee, uh, looking at, you know, verses like Philippians 413, I could do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Well, bud, I mean, uh, you know, I, I can't do neurosurgery. All right. Like you can, you know, <laughs> I, all, I can quote. I can quote that verse all day long, but you put, you know, uh, there's no way I can do what, you know, I can't, I can do. And we take that verse and we do it to mean something more. So it's called try not true. I'm working on it right now. I can't wait for it to come out. Love it. So friend, send me an email, Lee at drleewarren.com. We're going to put some pressure on Pastor Stevens to write this book. (laughs) (laughs) I sent my friend Max Lucado um, a meme the other day and it said that the the guy had a big smile on his face. And he said, "I've, I've found this secret to learning how to write my book. And the second panel was stop not writing your book. (laughs) Isn't that it, man? It is keeping, you know, I heard, I think it was John MacArthur's. I don't know who it was, but somebody said, you know, the secret to writing sermons and and it's true for books is keeping your tail in the chair, you know, (laughs) sitting down and doing, there's no shortcut to it, man. You just got to do it. 
That's right. I love it, man. You landed the plane. It, it, this is exactly the conversation I wanted to have with you today. And I, I guess just as, as a parting uh, gift to our listeners, you know, there's Lola in Kentucky or Brian in California. There's somebody listening today who is is in the midst of the hardest thing they've ever been through. Jared, mm-hmm. it's the, it's the hardest thing, and they're trying to find hope again, and they're they're trying to put this treatment plan idea together, and all these things. And just if you had thirty seconds to pastor that person, like what's the what's the thing they can take away from today that can that can put some hope in their heart again, and give them give them a little bit of of, of grabbing on to something that's not going to let them go. Yeah, I I would tell them, um, you know, you don't have to worry about holding on to Jesus; he's holding on to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless of, of what, what, what you feel, um, you just know that God's constant and he is there. And, um, you, you know, coming off of Easter, he, 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 he knows we look at Jesus on the cross and he knows what it was like to be abandoned. He knows what it was like, uh, to go through emotional turmoil of being mocked and spit upon, you know, Jesus, Jesus has been there with us and he sits with us. And, uh, all I, all I can encourage you to do is, uh, just don't give up. Just one, you know, living by faith doesn't mean having the answers, doesn't mean having it all together. The fact that you're up today, taking it, breathing life and putting one foot in front of the other is faith. And God honors that and he will honor that. And I would just uh, encourage you to just keep, just keep getting up, putting one foot in front of the other. Amen. Love it, brother. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been so great to reconnect with you, and uh, we'll do it again when your next book comes out. Look forward to it, Lee. Thanks so much. Always enjoy our time together. Thank you. God bless. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.